0: Destroy hotline. Alicia? Michael?
1: What's going on? We know you have takes. We have takes. I'm actually surprised that your rant line, raid line, whatever, isn't completely full.
0: Why can't we just win a game? Can I blame Michael Castillo for this?
2: Can I blame Bob Connolly for this? Can I put on a zebra shirt and just go out there?
1: Scratch, claw, up against the wall. Can't
2: explain it, what I'm feeling right now, guys. I can't believe it.
1: Let's open up that race line! Woohoo! Oh, I can't believe USC has hired Lincoln Riley. Oh, yeah. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Reign of Troy Radio, episode 444, coming to you on Monday, September 12th. We're going to talk about USC's 41-28 win over the Stanford Cardinal open up the mailbag. look back at the game, talk about the over under and so much more here on this episode. As always, you can follow Alicia over on Twitter at penguin of Troy. You can follow me on Twitter at Michael cast FS. You can follow Reign of Troy radio at rain of Troy at on Twitter or uh, Facebook is facebook.com slash of Troy email address, Reign of Troy, at fan You can find us wherever you can find a podcast over at Apple podcasts, Stitcher, uh, Spotify, whatever your favorite podcast catcher, we are there. And we're right here live on YouTube as well. Just search Rain of Troy Radio on YouTube and you will find us. Uh, I'm your host, Michael Castillo. joining along with my co-host here in the Rain of Troy studio in Los Angeles, Elisa D'Aretola. Hello, everybody. Hello. Uh, we are back for another episode here live on YouTube and coming to you wherever you're listening to us on your podcatcher. catcher. Uh, SC is 2-0. and uh, So far, things are right in the world, right? Yeah, I mean, USC is 2-0. USC is moving
2: up the rankings. USC is feeling good. Uh, there's 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 reason to be excited. It's also one of the more fascinating weeks of the season for USC with Fresno State coming up. Yeah. So, you know, let's Lots ride. Lots to
1: discuss. Lots to discuss. The NFL season is back, which means the Jags are off to their – uh, traditional losing ways. Uh, you're a Charger fan. You got to be happy about that that big win over the, the Raiders. The most,
2: I mean, it would have been a typical Charger loss if they had managed to blow that lead to the Raiders, but uh, they they held on. They still blew the lead, but they held on.
1: There you go. I'm still getting used to the fact that I have to remember that there's NFL action on Sundays when I'm driving on the 405. I'm like, why is it so packed on a freaking Sunday? What the hell's going on? Yeah. Like, Oh, yeah. The guy with the Raider flag in front of me isn't just like an obnoxious Raider fan. He might actually be going to the game, too. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Anyways, um, let, let's talk about this podcast. We got a new review over on Apple Podcasts. It is a five star from Pensacola 59. What'd they have to say?
2: They said, uh, "Don and Donna Downer love your show, but you always dwell in the past." (laughs) All caps. New season, new coach. Trojans will have a winning season. Enjoy the games. Uh, Thank you, Pensacola, for the five star review. If you're going to criticize us, that's the way to do it. (laughs) One way.
1: The five star review. Five star. I'll take
2: getting getting called a a, a downer favorite um, with the five star review for sure. Um, I think you and I both agree that the Trojans will have a winning season. I think both of us are enjoying the games, but uh, you, you know,
1: predicted a 10 and two season. Yeah, It went 10 and two. I mean, yeah. we'll see. Yeah. Uh, th- thank you for the review as always. And you can always review us over on Apple Podcasts, and it helps grow the show. If you're watching us live on YouTube, you can subscribe to the channel and like this episode, like this video. We'll, we'll pause, let you press the button right down wherever it is. Uh, and that helps grow the show as well. Share it with your friends. Uh, tell all your coworkers. All those kind of things, uh, and help grow Reign of Troy Radio. But Alicia, I, I would press the sound uh, the soundboard button. We did find the soundboard. We got it working. It was working five minutes before we started to record. I was so excited because we're finally going to have the soundboard back. I was looking forward to pressing. I actually think this is Optimistic Mystic Alicia and Pessimistic Alicia out in full force. All those things, I was gonna press it. I found the button. We choose not to run. All of those. <laughs> I was so I was so pumped. And... and and then like literally right before we were started to record at 701 when we're about to go live we had to make the decision that (laughs) it could not go live with us. For some reason it was like just completely tanking the whole audio.
2: Everything else works until you plug that thing in. And then it's like, Nope, no dice. So I, I don't, I, I honestly, I am stumped on why (laughs) that's a problem, but (laughs) it's a thing to figure out for another day.
1: Yeah. I, I, I I don't get it. We were delayed
2: enough getting on, on air for this one, having to move back uh, for my sake. So, Yeah. yeah.
1: Anyways, uh, if you're listening at home on your favorite podcast device, here is the news child. All right, Alicia, (laughs) let's get into the news uh, and start with the, the updated game time for USC's week four matchup, the trip to Corvallis up to a Reaser Stadium that's in the middle of a renovation, USC and the Beavers, uh, coming up in two weeks uh, next week. It is now going to kick off at 6.30 p.m. on the Pac-12 networks. Uh, that's not great. Mm. I, like This is a game that could potentially be a college game day like pick. The Beeves are 2-0. The Trojans are 2-0. The Beeves got a big win uh, on, on Saturday. Last-second win. Um, up in Fresno against Fresno State, USC's current opponent for for this upcoming week, and 6.30 p.m. on Pac-12 Network. But you you read an article over on the LA Times from uh, Brady McCullough. What what do you have to say?
2: Yeah, so basically he uh, cited sources who said that the Pac-12 Network situation is that Fox and ESPN are sort of – biding their time on picking USC. So what happens when uh, the the schedule for the week, the broadcast schedule is set is each, how would you describe it? It's almost like the waiver wire situation. Like each broadcaster gets to sort of draft a game that they're going to, that are part, that's part of their rights or they get to like choose. Right. So
1: it's a lot like a fantasy draft, It's like a fantasy draft. Yeah. In the sense that's, you get to pick what you have, but you only have, like... You only you have, have so many options for You only so have so many Stony options because contractually um, there is a pack in order, so... Uh, but, like, it, this it,
2: week Fox gets to pick first, and then right. next week ESPN gets to pick first, and, you know, after ESPN and Fox have had their pick, then the Pac-12 network gets to pick, and...
1: And, and, and then you have, the other like, season-long to- season things where ESPN only gets... Like, they get to pick a week or whatever it is, yeah. or... Uh, to whatever the number is, and then they can run out of those things at the end of the year.
2: Yeah, so so basically what happened is USC has to be on Pac-12 Network three times a season. That's contractually obligated. So USC was on Pac-12 Network for Rice, but they will need to be on Pac-12 Network two more times this season. So if you're ESPN and you took USC, Oregon State as Intrig- intriguing a matchup as that is, if you're at ESPN or Fox and you're trying to decide, well, do we use, do we we take this game, but know that there will be two weeks later on in the season that we won't be able to pick USC because they have to be on Pac-12 network. I think they looked at the calculus. They, they looked at the they did the calculus and realized that they would rather basically throw Oregon State to the Wolves in in terms yeah. of. Pac-12 then to miss USC potentially contending for the playoff playing someone down in the second half of the season they'd rather miss Oregon State but have you know Cal available if they if, if they, they want really to make those
1: picks later right yeah. like like so if SC has to be on the Pac-12 network three times in a season I guess two out of the first three games is you're getting not, out of the way yeah you're getting it out of the way early um or out of the first four games in this instance, right? Um, uh, Fresno State, what channel is the Fresno State on?
2: Do you remember? It is on...
1: Um, I should probably be more prepared for this. E- either it's
2: way. 7.30 on... Well, where would the 7.30 kick be? Uh, ESPN,
1: I thought, but... I. Besides the point... The, the, the
2: scoreboard the, is loading. You guys will find out in 20 <laughs> seconds when this thing
1: loads. Uh, no, the, the, besides the point, th- this is the kind of thing that happens in the SEC all the time with CBS. Is that the way, and one of the reasons why the SEC is leaving CBS is because the way that the uh, scheduling works, you're only allowed five games on CBS per team. So Alabama can only be on CBS five times. So what ends up happening is towards the end of the season, if Alabama has been on the CBS game three different times, and all of a sudden, there's still the LSU and game on the schedule, and there's the Iron Bowl, and you know they're going to play top ten Ole Miss. Like one of those games, CBS is going to have to like sacrifice.
2: You have to pass, yeah.
1: You got you, you got to pass, and you got to kind of like make sure that you still have one left for the Iron Bowl. Um, so that's usually what ends up happening in these situations. That's what's happening in Week Four uh, against uh, against Oregon State for USC and uh, for the record, Big Fox says says our pal Kenny Martin.
2: Big Fox seven thirty. Yeah, for Fresno State.
1: Yeah, so uh, we we will see that uh, this Saturday and then next Saturday USC uh, up in Corvallis six thirty p.m. on the Pac twelve networks. Uh, let's go to the other news. Um, talking about players of the week, um, USC gets some representation here. Uh, in the form of Caleb Williams and Tuli Pelotu, Both are Pac-12 players of the week. Caleb Williams on the offensive side. He was 20 of 27, playing 74% of his passes for 341 yards and four touchdowns. Uh, he now reigns second nationally in completion percentage and passing efficiency. He's also third nationally in yards per attempt. Pretty, 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 pretty good.
2: Yeah, he leads the Pac-12 in all of those things. I think this won't be the last time we see Caleb Williams as Pac-12 player of the week. I think you have to pencil him in right now after two games of just seeing what he can do, you have to pencil him in as offense player of the year in the Pac-12 um unless something ginormous changes.
1: Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Uh, truly on defense, four tackles for loss. Hell of a big game for him. Six tackles overall. Did break up a pass, forced a fumble that's probably statistically the like that is the best game you're ever going to see out of Tulio 2 too um not to say that he can't top that but like how are you going to see that that much production out of a out of a guy who plays a role like him like that is pretty much max effort uh and more power to him
2: yeah it's those havoc plays that I think uh make a huge difference and USC is going to need guys like Tuli Tupelo to, to create those plays. They're going to need guys like Max Williams and Makai Blackman to come up with the the mm-hmm. forced turnovers that they did as well because um, this is one of the things that we're going to continue to talk about with this defense. This defense is going to, I mean, this was the discussion you and I were having with Jake from What's Bruin Show in text messages. People were having this discussion on Twitter and stuff. The idea of, well, is this a bend but don't break defense, sort of? Is it a boom or bust defense? Pretty much. Um, and, uh, and and when you're one of those, like you have to be opportunistic. You have to create havoc and you have to take advantage of that havoc when it comes. So uh, seeing Tuli Tupelo to have that, those kind of impact plays, absolutely big game from him. Need more big games from him uh, and, and the rest of the supporting cast there on defense. So uh, yeah, good for him.
1: Yeah, 100%. Uh, Talk about the polls, which just came out on Sunday. Uh, Essie now up to number seven in the AP poll, eighth in the S. uh, Sorry, in the coaches, Um, SP plus and and Sagarin and stuff. I'm not too worried about those right now. It's too early. It's too early, and I mean, mind you, the coaches in the AP poll are are way too early. But that's very true. Everything is too is too early. But one of the things that you want to discuss here was the the playoff stuff that ESPN has been putting together.
2: Yeah. So ESPN dropped a like early playoff picks, and they it was basically a round roundtable. They had like fifteen writers who picked their like their playoff field, and nine of the fifteen had USC as number as the number four seed in the playoff. And my first thought was these people are crazy. Like these people are (laughs) crazy. What are you doing? No, no, absolutely not. And then I thought about it. Like, okay, if Uh
1: I, here we go, you're getting suckered in. No, no,
2: no. If, if I were picking a playoff pick after the first two weeks that we've had based on the season that the very incomplete season that we've already seen, if I had to choose playoff picks and I had to go deeper than three, I would be at a loss because you go Georgia, you go Bama, you go Ohio State. I I, I get why they don't put Michigan at number four because Michigan and Ohio State are going to play each other. Um, Oklahoma was up seven to three against Kent State in the first half the other day. Um, they have a much tougher sled than USC would to win the Big 12. They have to go through, I think, a more difficult conference slate to get there. Um, Oklahoma State, I think there's still questions about their defense. They uh, ASU played them, like prevented it from being a blowout, almost competitive game. So like, I don't know about Oklahoma State. Baylor lost, um, Texas, a- Texas A&M lost, and that's a third ACC team. Like just Notre Dame lost, all of these. I think that when you're, a, it's too early to be picking these, anyways. But if you had to pick today, if you had to, I get picking USC over the other options. I do. Do I think that that's the truth of what will happen? No, because teams like Baylor losing early don't doesn't have to kill them. Um, teams like uh, BYU,
1: Utah losing on the road to Florida,
2: Utah losing on the road to Florida could still be up there by the like. There is there is so much more of the season to go. We have seen a smidgen of what truth there is to what any of these teams are. We don't know the truth of USC or Oklahoma or any of the teams that lost this past week. They could, I mean, the best time to lose is early in the season. So like, you know, you, you, you get going, you get hot and then suddenly you are the playoff team. So I just think it's an insane prospect to even try to have these conversations right now. I think it's, this has been one of the most, you know, rankings are always irrelevant to a point but like this year of the AP and coaches has been the most irrelevant that I can remember in a while in terms of like, yeah, no, like.
1: Uh, well, I, let, let me jump in there because I think it's easy to say that now, but I think that every year we're saying the same thing yeah. But like, well, the coaches poll this year is more relevant, more relevant than ever or whatever. Like we, we sort of have that, uh, that perspective every single year. Um, and really, it goes back to since the playoff was formed, everyone's sort of look at outlook at, at what the the rankings are changed. Because back before the playoff, it was you sorted by the num- lowest number of wins, uh, sorry, lowest number of losses, um, and then you picked, and it mattered where and, you and started. Then, yeah, and it mattered where you started, and yeah. then that's just where you were, and there was no. Moving up or down, right? Like, well,
2: you move you move up or down relative to your performance that week. So yes. If you lose in early, you have more weeks to gain spots. Right. In in that but, sense, but if
1: you but if you struggled, you weren't going to drop. Yeah. And that was an anti, an, you know, antiquated way of looking at the polls, but that's how they always were. Yeah. My the only thing that I like about the playoff coming into college football because, you know me, I'm like anti playoff expansion and everything. And the 12 team playoff is going to kill me. But beside that, the like the thing that I love is that we've reevaluated what polls should be and not just the predictive versus the resume kind of thing of polls and, and the two different dynamics there. But yeah, like let's stop worrying about wins and losses, like case in point, Texas, um, if we're ranking teams based on how good they are, that doesn't mean ranking them on how many wins they have. Yeah. Like this is already independent of the record. So why should a team like Texas get penalized for losing the number one team? Well,
2: that, you know, you could like, make the argument that Texas's loss to Alabama was more impressive than any other win this weekend for any team. Yeah. Because I don't know that any I don't know how many of the teams out there would have given Texas the game to given yeah, Alabama and, the game that Texas gave. And them.
1: they're up to twenty-one. They're they're twenty first in the poll. So they went yeah. up, which which never would have happened before. Yeah. Because oh, you lost, so then you must go down. Oh, you won, so you must go up if anything, but only dependent if the teams in front of you lost. Like that never made any sense. So yeah, to to go back to your point about well, if you look at it and if you're going to just be realistically pick four conference winners and you're going to pick the the big 3 right now, which is Georgia, uh, Alabama and Ohio State and you're going to just assume that one of those SEC teams is going to get in as an at large, which is probably fair at this point. And then you got to go to who's going to be out of the ACC, who's going to be out of the Big 12 and who's going to be out of the Pac-12. Oh
2: yeah, sorry. I, I forgot to mention Clemson, who is the biggest Paper tiger fraud, in my opinion, in the poll. So
1: I mean Clemson has been a struggle bus um the last, you know, year and a half or so. But they're still Clemson. So you still want to give them the benefit of the doubt. So either way, I get it, but also let's not get ahead of ourselves. Let's take everything
2: slowly. Well week by week. The best thing about the playoffs is that they don't bother ranking teams until week ten. <laughs> so yeah. yeah, do that.
1: All right. Uh, Let's get into talking about USC's 41-28 win over the Stanford Cardinal. Um, Alicia, we've sort of looked back at it, and we talked about it a lot in the car cast. We had a super long car cast. It went like an hour and a half, and it was a hell of a lot of fun to do a live car cast for the first time. Um, I'm stoked about doing that for the rest of the season. As much as I miss going to games and being at games... The live car cast kinda cool It's post-game. pretty it's pretty awesome, yeah, pretty kind, awesome kind of fun yeah. um but uh l- l- let's talk about like looking back at this game um you especially had a lot of thoughts about the the third quarter and the really the second half because the big the biggest talking point in this game is how dominant s c was in the first half and how in the second half, seemingly not so much didn't score a single touchdown in the second half, had to settle for three field goal attempts uh. Two were made by Dennis Lynch, but one was missed, so there was only six points that SC scored, whereas Stanford added a couple touchdowns late to kind of sort of make the score look a little bit closer, than the game look closer than it was, which probably isn't, isn't fair, because when you consider how many, yarded, how many yards Stanford gained, that they had two fumbles inside the five, or two turnovers inside the five, this easily could have gone down to the wire, um, but it didn't.
2: But the th- okay, so here's the
1: thing. and I I I went back and watched
2: the second half, at least the offensive drives on the second half. And like it surprised me as someone who watched the entire game on Saturday, definitely, it surprised me that it the score was 41 to 14 going into the fourth quarter. Like I feel like I forgot that. It was yeah. 41 to 14 going into the fourth quarter. It was a bona fide. 100% blowout. USC could have cleared the benches. And honestly, like, I wonder if our perception of the game would have been slightly different if Riley had just put Miller Moss in for the fourth quarter and just let that be that. Or I think he didn't because he was so unhappy with the results of the three drives in the third quarter, and he wanted to give the, the offense and Caleb another opportunity to sort of put a... uh put a you know an exclamation point on it and i i don't disagree with him doing that
1: right but it was a bona fide blowout (laughs) like it was 41 to 14 but but this still is one of those weird games where on the scoreboard it was absolutely a blowout yeah um in terms of just cheer yardage and and moving the ball back and forth like both teams were. pretty much tit for tat for most of the game. This
2: is what four turnovers do though. Like this Absolutely, is this is the scoreline yeah. you well, see when you're This you have is four why turnovers. we talked
1: about it for years that so much, so many things change. I mean we talked about the empty calories that SC had in games mm-hmm. because they weren't finishing off drives and they were committing turnovers. See Stanford in this game. Exactly. I mean, we
2: used to call what USC was doing very Stanfordy because this was like that one year when Stanford could not, for the life of them, score in the red zone. Like it's a it's a thing. So yeah, I mean, I just think it is sort of an interesting interesting observation that I, I remember people talking about the palindromic score, but like I don't think it clicked in my head that it was forty-one to fourteen going into the fourth quarter. Like
1: yeah, that's a big margin. Yeah. Okay. And and if David Shaw takes out Tanner McKee. Uh, And they sort of surrender. It's a different. I think it it ends up looking a lot different, too.
2: Yes. Um, And that's why I wanted to talk about the third quarter specifically. I also went through and looked at the fourth quarter, but I think it matters less because um, by that time it was sort of the same story as the third quarter. Yeah. So there was a question in the car cast of did USC take their foot off the gas in the third quarter? And I went through to look specifically at did the play calling change significantly? Did they run the ball significantly more often? Were they just going through the motions? And my observation from watching those drives in the third quarter is absolutely not. The only thing you can accuse USC of doing that would be suggested as taking their foot off the gas is Caleb Williams was letting the play clock run down. And I suppose... If you're talking about tempo, um, you know I could see how that could maybe get your rhythm out of out of order. If you're letting the, the the clock run down to five seconds or so between each play, where I went back to watch a few drives in the first quarter, and he was definitely like sometimes he was snapping with like eight or eight or eight or five seconds left on the clock. Sometimes he was snapping with thirty seconds left on the play clock, twenty five, twenty, eighteen, whatever. Like he was all, he it was all sort of whenever they they felt like it. So the tempo i think is where you can accuse the 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 foot coming off the gas but at the same time you're up 41 to 14 at, like you you're up 30 what were they 35 to 14 in the at halftime like you should be letting the clock run down yeah. on every play so like i'm not going to criticize them for that but let's go through some of these drives the first field goal drive they had that big gainer to to jordan addison so they tr- on the first play of the of the half for the offense they're going deep and they hit something and sets them up into field goal range, essentially. And then um, there's just a couple of, of uh, you know, misses. There's a, a that rollout that ca- the Caleb Williams had where Dye had the no blocking, no rocky play. And Caleb just missed Taj Washington, who stumbled early on in his route. So I just think the timing was off there for that whole play. And that's on a third down. So they have to kick a field goal. The second drive is actually a long drive where USC is moving the ball very, fairly well. They get into a third and long because of a, um, a holding flag on Cortland Ford on a Travis Dye first down, on a Travis Dye first down run. They get into third and, third and long, Caleb is able to scramble out and get horse collar tackled. So USC converts that. The drive continues. The, they're, they're, you know then th- th- This is the sequence that makes me think, you can't say they took their foot off the gas because these players did not have their foot off the gas. There's a uh, Caleb Williams keeper where he has the most disrespectful stiff arm I've ever seen a a quarterback give a defender. Um, There's a third down play where Austin Jones punches a dude in the face mask, spins around, fights for yardage. Um, And then the play continues, and there's one play where I think Caleb Williams lost his cool. There was some pressure coming off the right side, and he hurried a throw in the end zone to Mario Williams – I think he had way more time than he thought he did. I thought he hurried that play, hurried that throw and forced it into a spot that wasn't there. I think if he takes his time, there's more of a chance there, but that sets up a third and long. And on that third and long, Cortland Ford gets absolutely destroyed uh, coming off the edge by, from David Bailey, who was a problem for USC throughout the game and who, if I have one big criticism of the offense, it's they didn't account for David Bailey enough because he comes up later as blowing up a fourth quarter drive that USC had with a sack untouched off the edge as well. So for future references, I hope that Lincoln um, either does something, an adjustment for himself so that the players know, hey, that dude is the danger guy, take care of him, or that the offensive line pays more attention, or that Caleb Williams slides his protections, or whatever needs to happen for that. Because I think that was, if if I had to point to one thing that really blew up this offense in the second half, there are two things. One, it's David Bailey, just singularly David Bailey. And two, it's um, just penalties. There, were, there was a holding penalty. There was things that pulled back plays that got USC first downs, and, and that's where they, they really ran into trouble. Uh, but this long second drive, they get into the third and long. David Bailey blows up the play. They miss the field goal. Final drive of the third quarter is after the fumble that wasn't a scoop and score. Um, again, they're, 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 they're moving the ball fine. They get into a third and two. Caleb completes a pass to Brendan Rice, should be moving the chains and said it's OPI. Third and 17, what are you going to do? They run with Die. And again, did they take their foot off the gas running with Die? Maybe. But the players certainly weren't acting like it was over. They dragged Die forward for another eight yards. So I thought
1: they were going to go four down, fourth down on that play they, too. Because it was going to be like a fourth and six.
2: Yeah. And they could have, but they, they take the field goal. I don't blame them. I think getting up to 40 points probably makes you a lot more comfortable in the end game, as we see. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it's just, I just think there were, I think Caleb Williams had a, a like two, maybe three plays in that third quarter where he could have done better, but you're asking for perfection and that's not fair. Um, the penalties were, were the, the that, uh, that OPI was very, very costly. It probably cost USC, po- uh, cost yeah. USC a touchdown because they moved the change there and they can keep going. Um I do think that Stanford's defense did a lot better job of keeping things in front of them after that Jordan Addison long play, and uh, the long passes that USC attempted in the fourth quarter, Caleb either outright missed or were well covered, um, and uh, and and Stanford did a better job of of stopping the run from gashing. Travis Dye still had a couple of nice runs, but there were more, you know, one yard gain, two yard gains. That uh, put USC in, in sort of a second and long situation that you know probably doesn't help the flow of the drive. So, my thesis here is, I don't think USC did anything tactically here that was that was contributing to this. I think that when you have penalties, they're going to hurt you, and you are going to have a couple of drives per game that your quarterback isn't going to be all world, and you're not going to score touchdowns on them.
1: Yeah, and I think that really what it comes down to, you can look at the early parts of those of those drives too, the first and second downs, because the those drives end up failing because of errors on third down, whether it be a penalty, whether it be Cortland Ford getting destroyed by David Bailey, you said, on a third down, or uh, the Brendan Rice OPI, which is on a third down. Well, early on in the game, they weren't settled getting the third downs, right? Yes. Like they, they didn't have those moments where they were getting third downs. So, not only were they end up ending up in third down situations, but when you end up in third down situations, you're, those are always going to be 50 50 things about plays. Yeah. you're going to make them or you're, or you're not. So, if you're not picking up the first downs on first and second down and leading yourself to third downs, then that's going to happen. At the same point, SC has gotten a third down fewer than any other team in the country. So like it, it, for- it feels like a little nitpicky to sit here and say, "Well, uh, get the first down on second down, then you know what I mean like s c is doing that literally better than anyone else. literally better.
2: yeah, and they were up forty one to fourteen and and that's the other thing I observed. I didn't watch I, I had limited time to do this, so I didn't get to watch the defensive drives, but in fast forwarding through them, I did notice one thing: I don't think. Stanford had a chance of winning this game unless they created a defensive touchdown because the combination of USC drawing out the clock, like USC killed a lot of clock in these drives that I talked about in the second half. And the combination of USC's defense wasn't letting Stanford quick strike basically like Stanford was chewing clock on their drives too. So like yes yeah, stanford scores two uh, the, the two touchdowns in the second half but i i don't know that the second half defense was ever going to give like stanford was going to run out of time yeah before well, they they gave USC a chance
1: stanford's problem is the third quarter happens um and yes nobody scores a touchdown in the third quarter sc scores two field goals stanford doesn't score anything yeah but time of possession is 1214 to 246 in that third quarter. Stanford only runs nine plays and gains 39 yards. Yeah. Stanford needed to come out in the second half and it continued to be a thing where they were driving the length of the field both times, like both drives in the third quarter. They needed that to be the case. Yeah. SC ended up getting stops two times uh, in that third quarter and forced them to punt. Well, that's the difference in difference in the game right there. Like, That's the difference in a real comeback and one that ends up being sort of a teaser rally at the end for Stanford.
2: Now, I mean, this is going to be just a cautionary tale for USC. If they don't get those two red zone turnovers, I mean, they were, they were like goal line turnovers. Stanford maybe has 28 points at halftime and it's 28 35. And then those field goal drives in the second half are significantly more costly. Um, but still the defense, I thought in the second half, just by the nature of forcing Stanford to have to go on long drives to score when they did. Mm -hmm.
1: Well, that was really the whole game. It was, yes, Stanford was able to, to gain a bunch of yards and they did gain a, a billion yards in this game. Um, at the same time, SC forced them to not do it all in big, huge chunk plays. Um, Where they would have to go the length of the field to sustain those really, really, really long drives. Yeah. And it's hard to put together really long, sustainable drives, right? Yes. It's hard to do that. And then you put it all together and you're going to end up with uh, more opportunities to turn the ball over like they did, more opportunities for things to not go right like they did. Well, like what happened to
2: USC's offense in that third quarter, if you look at it, like Stanford's got to feel good about forcing that those drives to be as long as they did to get the field goals like right you know those were good defensive drives for stanford from results pers- perspective
0: mm-hmm.
1: yeah and, and it ultimately uh has sc winning 41 28 because stanford runs out of time sc is able to ride that hot start in the first half um offensively and that's all she wrote the the finish your drives folks finish your drives and don't turn over the ball in the red zone Or Mm -hmm. really at all. And if you don't do those things, you're going to win the game. SC didn't do those things. They won the game. Stanford did those things, and that prevented them from really competing in this game, despite moving the ball at will on USC for most of the game, right? Yeah. That's the difference. That's the absolute difference. Uh, Let's go and uh, revisit our over-under picks. Alyssa, you know the only good thing about football season being over? There's literally nothing good about the football
2: season being over. It's just an endless wait until the ball.
1: See, that's where you're wrong. It's tournament season. The best way to take your mind off the endless wait. That is true. I may not want to watch the men play, but the USC women are pretty awesome. Exactly, but it's not just SC. There's high-stake basketball moments all over the country. But you know what? They get even better with prize picks.
2: So you're saying the only thing better than watching Juju Watkins is taking the more on Juju Watkins.
1: Bingo. You can now turn your hoops knowledge and love of Juju Watkins into serious cash. Because you can now win up to 100 times your money on prize picks with as little as four correct picks. Turn ten bucks into a thousand bucks with college basketball, NBA, and NHL entries. Best of all, PrizePix lets you get on the action on more than thirty states across the country, including Texas, Georgia, and California.
2: That sounds pretty good to me.
1: Yeah, download the app today use the code Reign of Troy for a first deposit match up to one hundred dollars.
2: That's the PrizePix app with the code Reign of Troy
0: for the first deposit match of up, up to one hundred dollars.
1: Pick more. Pick less. It's that easy. so you're going over I'm with bold give me that over
0: i'll go under. i gotta take an under here i got three unders to take i'm gonna do an under here
1: all right uh alicia last week on uh on over under uh i believe you went seven and five and i went five and six wasn't good for me i needed to have a big comeback here i don't like this Let's see let's see what happened. Uh first over under pick for you you said over under 145 and a half rushing yards for Stanford. I of course said under because we were talking to all last week. Stanford is going to want to throw the ball a lot. Well they came out extremely balanced. Ran the ball a ton, had a lot of success with uh EJ Smith uh and then later um with um with Filkins who can never remember Philkins, yeah.
2: Filkins, who is, is either the, <laughs> the 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 fullback or the uh, the assistant in the office that the boss is always screaming at, like, get me
1: Philkins. Yeah, Philkins. Yeah. Uh 221 yards rushing for Stanford, so that means it was over. Me saying under locks in the over for you. 50.9% of those of you who played along at home. Got that right. Right on right on the edge there. Um, next one, I set the line at 68.5 Caleb Williams rushing yards. And he had four. You said under. You get it. I, that blocks me into the over. 70, 70.9% of people said under. Uh, and the under ultimately pays out there. Of course, this included sack yardage.
2: Yeah, a couple of late sacks, really. But he, I, he only scrambled a couple times. and Yeah, he yeah.
1: wasn't going to get that anyway. Yeah. Yeah, you, you look at the app, like the rushing numbers. Um, just gains? I, I, I just pulled it up. He scrambled for a gain of 10, gain of 8, another gain of 10, 4. Like, yeah, he, he wasn't going to get it. Um I, I thought he was fine on the ground. I think that one of the at least one of the sacks, I thought he held the ball on a, a little bit too long.
2: And there were a couple of moments where it felt like he could have had. And that's the other extenuating circumstances here. Stanford, the condition of Stanford's field was not good. Um, there were a couple of moments for USC where just slips really uh, were were the thing that that sank a a, a a play and thus helped sink a drive. So there was at least one where it looked like Caleb could have turned up upfield and gotten some yardage, but just bogged down by that uh, boggy field.
1: Yeah. 30 30 rushing yards he had if you take out the sacks. So still wasn't going to be close. uh, Four rushing yards total, given how college triple counts it. Uh, Next one, you said one and a half. Travis Dye, no blocky, no rocky moments. I took the under, locks you into the over. Uh, 58.2% of you guys at home took the under. And it was under. We... Came up with one. You said there was one play and it was in the third quarter.
2: Yeah, it was uh, as Caleb Williams scrambling back around, Travis Dye comes back around and, and just gets in, uh, takes on an offensive lineman and frees up Caleb to go
1: free. 100%. Uh, next one. I said 0. 0.5 Tanner McKee interceptions. The thing I don't like about over under is my propensity to do these 0. 0.5 it's lines. Hard
2: to, it's which hard Which is basically
1: the yes or no's. Yeah. And it annoys me because when you end up in a situation like this, where you're like, "Well, I'll that's low risk. I'll take the uh, the over." Locks me into the o to the under. Eighty nine point one percent of you guys at home took the over. Mm-hmm. It was two. He threw two picks first quarter. Yep. Yeah. What can you do? live and learn that's what i can do uh <laughs> next one you said 0. 0.5 well, another it, yes or no this is the this is the uh the the flip the, side in, there. the inverse you said 0. 0.5 sacks for Corey foreman uh i said i said over you well, took
2: the over Why did
1: i take the over
2: because every i mean i think a lot of people thought that i uh, mean
1: 78.2 percent of the robots said yeah it.
2: that Corey was getting close in the first game that he could get there
1: yeah it was zero he, he, he had zero, which gives you the under. Yeah. Uh, if you're keeping score at home, it's so far a good week for you. Um, last one for me. I said over under 11 and a half third down attempts. This is because SC only had seven against rice in week one. You said over locks me into the under 51% of you at home said over. I don't know what the total was, but it was less. It was, it was the under. Uh, so Stat broadcast, which has does the official stats, um, the official online stat database, says that USC had seven third down attempts. CFB stats is what what we use for like most of our statistics that we talk about. Says it was eight. Either way, seven eight doesn't matter. Qualifies as a number.
2: Do they take away a third down attempt if there was like a penalty? No, Um, they they track it because I was just trying to think that that horse collar on. Caleb Williams was a was on a third down. Um the Brendan Rice so, uh the Brendan Rice OPI was on a third down.
1: Okay, so I just pulled up in stat broadcasts when you go to third down plays, it says that there's ten and two penalties, which is eight. Which is eight. So, so then why does it still say seven? Weird. Don't know. Hmm. Okay. Don't get it. I don't know. Anyways, uh last one. Either uh, way, that
2: was a great, like, not just a great line by you, but like a great draw to to put the over under of talking about third down attempts. Because yeah,
1: it, it was a talking point in the game. I mean, sure.
2: what I mean, like we talked about earlier, that was the difference between the first half and the second half. That really was. It was yeah. USC didn't face third downs in the first half, and they faced third downs in the second.
1: Yeah, exactly. Uh, last one came from a, a viewer on YouTube. Gary, who said one and a half p- passes batted down by Eric Gentry. You took the over. I took the under 74 and a half percent of you guys at home said under. It was under. It was zero. Yeah. He's a tall dude. Eric Gentry is tall, tall guy. It, six it, it, six. It,
2: I thought he got one, but it just, it was just over
1: the top. Those stats are so hard to, uh, <sighs> to nail down. That's yeah. the problem. Like, yeah. like they don't get tabulated well and it's it's a a difficult one so all told for the week you went four and three i went three and four on the season you are 11 and seven i am eight and ten the big winner this week g young oh eight who went seven and oh wow wow perfect game yeah the only one to go seven and oh we had a bunch of six and ones including tat freak scott cox ocean beach trojans Callie Matt and Callie Cat? I think they're I, I think they're cheating. <laughs> like, you think it's the same person? Well, no, I'm pretty sure that we met them at the meetup in Utah a few years ago. Uh-huh. Callie Matt and Callie Cat. Why do you think they're cheating? Are they, clearly they have the same picks, six and one. I don't think that's cheating. Mm. It's a little, it's a little, little sass. Hmm, I L- wouldn't go throwing sus. out
2: accusations okay, not, against our viewers. No, I, I'm not saying that
1: they're <laughs> cheating. I'm saying that they're, there's colluding going on. Mm, colluding
2: is colluding. Yes, yes. Yes. Colluding.
1: Okay. Yes. Colluding. Yeah. Different than canoodling. Yes. Colluding. Uh, Ryan from Arizona also went six and one. So, uh, big ups to all them. We go to the season leaders and look who we have at the top. It is Callie Cat who's fifteen and three.
2: Well they There's clearly been
1: eighteen they um, clearly, total, total over unders.
2: They weren't colluding in week one then. Because where's, where's Callie Matt?
1: Clearly not. This is Callie true. Cali
2: Cat is the uh, is the superior <laughs> one, is what all I'm seeing.
1: Uh tied for second with a 14 and 4 record, we got Jay Vandy, uh our buddy LA Fred, Ryan from Arizona, and of course G Younger 8, who dominated in week two.
2: Callie Cat is in the chat right now and confirms that
1: we did meet them in Utah. Uh-oh. Yeah. Uh oh. Yeah. well, awesome. Yeah, good job, I'm, Kelly. I'm glad Kat. I'm right. I'm glad I yeah. have a good memory for that. I place.
2: do not, so I hope no one's ever offended
1: when I'm just like. Who? I have like an internal database of like.
2: Mm, I remember this like this
1: person I've heard of. I remember we met like, them at the Churchill in Phoenix. Like, yeah,
2: I remember like faces, but I couldn't tell you anybody's
1: name, like oh, yeah. at all. I I, I I try to remember those things. She's a Kelly oh. Matt refused to tell me his answers this week. See, well, denying the collusion, there we go. Mm. All right, uh, anyways, uh, game predictions. Um, Bill Connolly's numbers, of course, which we've talked about before, probably not accurate at this point, uh, said the SC would win 34 25. Vegas had SC by eight, you said SC 40 to 25. I Went down with the ship and you down did. with my my nine month old Stanford BDSC for the first time prediction. How um,
2: torn were you when Stanford got to twenty eight forty one and was going for that onside kick? Like how torn were you between not, like not USC winning torn. this like, game versus
1: I, U- USC this getting? This game never felt in doubt. No, it really. I think didn't. It they been, needed
2: two onside it kicks. It would been
1: completely different if there weren't those first, those two picks early on in the game. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But it would have been I
2: felt good day. about, I felt pretty good about my, my, it, like, like I said, in the car cast that, that went almost exactly how I sort of expected it to go. Uh,
1: yeah, of course it was 4128 SC. All right. Uh, let's get to some mailbag stuff. If you got, if you're watching this on YouTube, feel free to type in a question, put the word question at the front. If you want, that helps us figure it out where all the questions are, uh, and star them throughout the, uh, throughout the broadcast here. And uh, let's get into the mailbag, shall we? You've got mail. (laughs) Uh, Let's start with a Slack message we got from our pal Marcello, who says, the famous adage is that teams improve the most from week one to week two. So what improvements do y'all notice?
2: Well, okay, let's be fair. (laughs) The offense did not need to improve from week one to week two, and we certainly saw the same offense in the first half against Stanford as we saw in the first half against Rice. So I think that
1: um, I, I'm having difficulty on this one because I think that in a lot of ways you can say you saw the same USC performance in both games.
2: Yes. Uh, yeah, 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 for sure. The,
1: the, the difference was the opponent.
2: The difference was the opponent and uh, the opponent being able to fight back a little bit on on offense to to make it look closer. Mm-hmm. Which I didn't think Rice had that, uh just had that juice. They they were pretty. But it also, you know, when the they, turnovers they happened. Knobs too? <laughs> they they full of knobs. Uh but when the turnovers happened it was different too, because Rice's turnovers all came in the third quarter. And like that is demoralizing as all hell when you when you have a third quarter like that. Um, just the way the de- like USC's defense well,
1: the, the third quarter, but also at the end of the half. Too, yeah, at the end of the, the half. half. Like it was just more. You know, it, it like the the turnover sort of bookended the half yeah. to where it really just would break Rice's soul there.
2: Yeah. So I, I just thought it was, circumstances were slightly different. Um, I think that the improvement that we need to see from USC is not the kind of thing that you can say would follow that adage of week one to week two because I right. think it really needs to be the defense. Across week one, two, three, four, and five, uh, being able to prove that they can be in the right spots. Um, I saw a stat that was talking about how USC had drastically improved their tackling, like just statistically, they've had like ten missed tackles in in two weeks, which is like some like five percent or something of, of plays or whatever. And last year it was, was like significantly more than that, so. Uh, I wish I remembered the actual thing, but e- either way, it was it was clear that the tackling has improved. Mm-hmm. So it's not that USC is giving up yards because they can't tackle; it's that USC is giving up yards because they're vulnerable um, as far as the, the the running game goes. Running backs are finding finding uh, lanes to run in, and receivers are getting open. And so I think that as the season goes on, you just want to see players be in the right spots more often. Yeah, and that's. Um, that's something that I don't think you can say you improve from one week to two. You do it from two to three, three to four, four to five.
1: Yeah. You know, the, the other thing I, I'll give you one. I think the downfield passing much better in week two yes. because I think they took more shots downfield. Yeah. Uh, the the long pass to Jordan Addison in the in the second quarter was just Beautiful. such a thing of beauty. And yeah. Um, they didn't necessarily have to do that against Rice. No. Um, the the Rice had more the, the Rice game had more intermediate passes downfield. Um, that ended up being long gains with uh, with uh, yak yards. Yeah. Whereas I think Saturday against Stanford, it was more. There were more passes downfield. So I think yeah. that was one thing that improved. Um, and the other thing is, for the lack of definitive things that that said that they they improved, that is not a knock on this team. That's just a, a mark of like they've played very consistently in the first two games.
2: Oh, the punter.
1: Oh, the there well, there's a there was a poor punt in the in the first in the, the first one game fr- the the one from Aiden Sleep Dalton and in, in the Rice game was not good
2: was bad
1: like yeah. so terrible
2: no and then in, in in against Stanford he pinned him he pinned him deep
1: late yeah. in the game let me pull up the so yeah punts. the, the punter Where, punting <laughs> two punts sixty four yards a long of thirty six but it was inside the twenty
2: yeah and I think All it right. might have been inside the ten even it was it was a good kick.
1: That broadcast only says I-20, which I. I, who cares if it's inside the 20? Tell me if it's inside the 10 or the 5. Yeah. 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 All right. Uh, We got a YouTube comment on the car cast. This is from a couple days ago. I, I think you underrated Stanford's offense. Plus, they broke out a new scheme that USC couldn't prepare for on film. I think the judgment on the defense is a little too harsh here. Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State, and Clemson isn't judged the same way when they win by a couple of touchdowns. Just my opinion. Um, I would agree
2: that Stanford brought out things that USC wouldn't have had film on, and that contributed to the way Stanford was able to move the ball. And that's why it's very important to get your turnovers and to create your turnovers and to deal with things that way. I would reject the idea of like Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State, and Clemson not being judged the same way because Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State, and Clemson have significantly better defenses than this defense.
1: Also, um, if, if they give up a touchdown, there's someone on a message board that is, oh, like, wanting to jump off a cliff.
2: Oh, absolutely. But, like, Alabama's winning a game against Texas, like, 20 to 19. That means they're only giving up 19 points. Yeah. Um. You know, Georgia is blowing. Georgia has the best defense in the country, so it's like no one's going to talk about Georgia, Um. you know, pitching a shutout. Um, Ohio State when they but, struggled, Notre Dame still didn't give up a lot of points. Like, it, it, and it's also there's just different. There's different levels. Listen, the, the, listen. Those teams we have wa- the
1: benefit of the doubt at this point too. We
2: want yes, benefit of the doubt, and also like I want to enjoy USC games, and I have enjoyed these these two immensely. Like, I think there's so much to be positive about, but also we're watching the game. It's it the the defense is is outside of the turnovers they create. And the havoc plays they created later, it's they're not stopping people the way they need to stop people to get that benefit of the doubt that you see from like Bama and Georgia and Ohio State and Clemson. Like they're just not there. Yeah. My argument continues to be they didn't get all Americans through the transfer portal. Like the offense got all Americans. Mm-hmm. The defense didn't. They got Shane Lee, who has been very good, but like yeah. it's it's not the same level. The defensive rebuild is so much I bigger. Think- like, I think give Aaron, them time. It's okay. We can, we're, 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 when we're critiquing them, it's, it's constructive. When I'm not trying to like say that they're trash, they are infants learning how to walk. Like, let's, let's give them time. I, I'm perfectly fine with that.
1: Yeah. You said that the offense didn't, or the defense didn't get all Americans. Where I will push back on that is, yes, the, the offense literally got an all American Jordan Addison, who was the bullet the winner. And Caleb Williams, whether he be at Oklahoma or he be at SC, would have been a top five Heisman contender going into the season.
2: Travis Dye was the Pac-12's leading rusher. Yes, like-
1: and, but on on top of that, when you look at the defense, no, they didn't get an All-American, but I think that you are hoping that um, Kalen Bullock can become an All-American. You're hoping that Eric Gentry can become an All-American. But even those You're hoping dudes- that Tully Tully Polo out, too can become an all, All-American, all, all and you're hoping that Shane Lee's one good year at Alabama three years ago meant something. Yeah. And I think there's a there's a good likelihood that of those four hopes, multiple of those things will come true because I believe in those players they, and I think that they're good players, They take, time. but it's a different kind of hope where the offensive guys came in completely proven. And the defensive guys, even the ones who didn't transfer in, like Bullock and Tulipalotu, you're still hopeful of seeing the best. Whereas for the offensive guys, you've already seen what their best looks like. You know what I mean? I
2: also think it's just the the learning curve on defense is going to be more difficult than especially with a quarterback who was in this system last
1: year. Yeah. Uh, I mean, look how... Look at the defense last year. It's like historically it's, bad.
2: It was, yeah, they're, they're starting from scratch. Like, yeah. and I don't think we're being negative by pointing out that they are starting from a zero and every little, the fact that they, they have created eight turnovers in two games. Good on them. Like the, it's incredible. The, the, yeah. this is, if you're going to be a defense that's going to give up a million yards, which USC's defense last year absolutely did create turnovers. That's I. That's why yes. I'm not super critical even of the, of the the defense in the second. Like again, the defense gave up 14 points in the first half, 14 points in the second half. Sign me up for that for the rest of the season. Yes. If you sign yeah. me up for that for the rest of the season, USC's going undefeated. Like well, we've talked <laughs> the, about it The before. problem
1: is if, just if SC gives in the mid can't holds teams to the mid 20s they're going to win just about every game because you'd think this, this you would think that this offense is going to score more than 28
2: points. Yeah. So like at, in year one on defense in year one on defense, to me, it's, it's uh, the, the, the ends justify the means as far as I'm concerned, because yes. there's yeah. so much going on with this defense that, that, that they have to, that they have to improve from starting from zero. So if they're going to be the most opportunistic defense in the history of mankind, then good on them for being the most opportunistic defense uh, in the history of mankind. When they inevitably, inevitably slip up and give up 50 points, which I think will happen this season, I'm going to sit here and say, yeah, I expected that because this defense still has a long way to go. I'm not going to be losing my crap about it, in theory. I mean, maybe I will be, but like oh. in theory, because it's sort of what I expect. So I think the, the defense has already exceeded my expectations this season uh, just because of the turnover. So I think that you can sort of be honest about what this defense is and also yeah. give them their due because I think they're performing admirably at the very
0: least.
1: Yeah. We, we, we have to remember that in college football right now, the defenses are way behind the offense. Yes. that That's just, that's just how it is. Um, that There's a reason why Alabama is giving up twice the number of points per game that they do now than they did Ten, years, 10 ago, years ago, yeah, because the game has changed. The game has absolutely changed, and now mm-hmm. it's it's all about making sure you score forty points and holding your team to twenty something. Uh, SC did that against Stanford. So, um, at worst, this is just what it what it needed to be, right? And in year one, I think that the most important thing is to have an offense that is so good, um, or as good as they are in year one, which is incredible, that you have the luxury of living through the defensive rebuild and giving them time Mm -hmm. and they're not going to be perfect in in week one and it or week two. And if they were perfect in week two, that would be, you know, insane that that they were that far along. So yeah. Then again, um, yeah, it gives you still room to grow. Uh, Let's go to some questions from the chat here. Cam lifestyle says, have either of you heard about Gary Bryant jr.? being disgruntled behind the scenes. Any truth about his role in the first two games?
2: Uh, I don't think Michael and I have inside information. Um, We don't have, you know, certainly can't speak to his mindset. I think certainly he has been less involved than, um, than he absolutely would have hoped going into the season. But like I have said in the past, if, a player is unhappy with their role, then, they're like I don't think you cater to them. Yeah, if you have people ahead of them in the pecking order who are producing, and I think that yeah. the the four guys that are ahead of him in the in the pecking order, as we see it, are not giving us reason to say that like Gary Bryant Jr. is getting screwed or anything like that. So. Uh, the, the season will play out the way it does. And if he keeps putting in the work, I think he, his opportunities will come eventually uh, because eventually there will be injuries. Eventually there will be situations where one guy just has a, a breakout day or not. But
1: we, we've talked about it before There there's like eight, eight or nine different dudes who could be uh super important components of this receiving core. Yeah. And when you have eight or nine dudes, you're bound for, two or three of them to surprise you two or three of them to disappoint you two or three of them to be injured and maybe two or three of them to be disgruntled. Like that's just how it's going to be. And like yeah. I can't speak to like, like at least you said, we can't speak to the Gary Bryan stuff, but like when you look at how everything is going right now, I, I don't know how you can as a f- fan watching the stuff, I don't know how you can, um, you know, have any other thought than as he's in good hands as it is right now, obviously you'd love for Gary Bryant Jr. to be involved a little inside baseball stuff where I get frustrated is when we're making a, a we got to make YouTube thumbnails now. <laughs> and like, we got to make thumbnails for, um, the car cast that I'm like, Oh, well, I got to use a, find a game from last year in which they're on, they're on the road. They'll be wearing white. So, okay, let's go to Getty Images, find a game where SC was wearing whites. So we can like pretend it was a Stanford thing, because the thing the game hasn't happened yet. Um, well, here's a picture of Gary Bryant Jr. in a white jersey. And so like it makes it easy because like after the first game, the the thumbnail from the Rice Carcast is Gary Bryant in a in a C SC jersey in an afternoon game at the Coliseum from last year because I had to make that thumbnail three days before our car cast. Yeah. It made sense. And then you watch the game and like, he had like one catch against rice or whatever it was. And you're like, what are you going to do? I don't know what to do. Nope. Anyways, uh, let's go to a question we got from Cameron in Frisco, Texas. I already miss Frisco, Texas. Miss Miss Hutchins. Hutchins. <sighs> yeah. Anyways, he says with Notre Dame's quarterback out for the season, are you still doubling down on USC beating them in November. Sorry about your alma mater, Alicia Cameron from Frisco, Texas.
2: Notre Dame plays Cal this weekend. They do. And if you had told me before the season that one of those teams would be 2-0 and and one of those teams would be 0-2, I would have told you it was Cal that was 0-2. <laughs> it's Notre Dame. I, I mean... <laughs>
1: Um, yes, but then you look at Cal's <laughs> who did schedule. Cal, play? Yeah. Cal has played like UC Davis and I don't know who they played last week, but yeah.
2: I I mean, I think Notre Dame might be in a little trouble. Um, they hired a first time head coach. We're going to, we don't know what, uh, what he's going to be able to do here, but he's got a hell of a job on his hands mm-hmm. to keep this team, um, motivated and keep them focused on improving. Um, the quarterback situation is not good. I said before that I think they were going to really miss the, uh, the quarterback, the the Wisconsin transfer, um, Jack Cohn from last year that has come to pass. Ty Buckner has not been good this year. Him being out means they're down to the second string quarterback who did not look good in, in the time that he came in. So Notre Dame might be in trouble. Um, that's still a rivalry game though. So, Against all odds, you just. Oh, like
1: SC Notre Dame. Are SC Notre Dame Cal. Oh, like, yeah. No. What? <laughs> no, SC I Notre Dame. Notre Dame and Cal might be the two most different universities of all time. Yeah. <laughs>
2: um, no, the, like the rivalry. Cal and
1: BYU might be. Cal and BYU,
2: yeah. Uh, the rivalry game at the end, of the end of the season with USC and Notre Dame, we have a long way to go. Uh, so, it, it, you know, uh, my prediction would remain that USC will beat. Um, Will beat Notre Dame, but we've got a, we've got a long way to go, guys.
1: Yeah, I have a lot of a lot of uh, faith in Freeman. I really liked him as as a hire, as the the Notre Dame hire there. But I, a first time head coach is always going to be difficult. It's it's going to be there's going to be growing pains in year one. That's so. I, I thought there would be maybe less growing pains than SC, just not because Freeman is greater than Riley like that. That's not my thought process there, but mostly they because had of a rebuild. they had less of a rebuild to do because you're taking over for a established, very good coach in, in Brian Kelly. Whereas Riley had to come in and pretty much start from scratch.
2: Yes, but this was a conversation that we, sorry, the Broncos just missed the game winning field goal attempt. Um, the conversation that we had a lot of the time with Clay Hilton was, that is not a program that should be hiring a coach that is at the level of Marcus Freeman. Like Marcus Freeman's sure. first head coaching job should happen at Cincinnati or like UCF or I don't know, go take, go do something with coastal Carolina and that like those kind. he should not have been given the keys to Notre Dame. That's my opinion.
1: Yeah. Uh, let's go to a message we got from our buddy Kenny Martin. How long does Clemson keep getting the benefit of the doubt
2: until they lose until someone puts that offense out of its misery?
1: I I think it's, I think it's until they're like third in the ACC or something like that. I mean, let's be real. It took until like last year for people to stop giving Stanford the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. And they didn't win national championships. Right. Like this year was the first time that we talked about Stanford and people were like, yeah, but Stanford sucks. Remember like, before that, even if Stanford was not good, people would be like, no, nope. But it's but it's Stanford. But I mean, it's that Stanford, was mean. right?
0: Yeah.
1: So yeah, I think it's, I think it's going to be a, a little while. I think it also might take multiple quarterbacks um, because. And, and the sad thing is, I like. I, I mean, I think we all had, you know, thought that that um, DJ DJ is like really good, right? DJ, like. We, uh, you can just go to DJ and you just don't I have to. I used to be able to try it.
2: I, I just could, say DJ. You know, I you. I used to be able to say it, and now I haven't tried to say it in a while. DJ, yeah, just say DJ. If you, you want go. to see what brain <laughs> drain looks like, look at Clemson's Clemson. offense.
1: Well, the problem is here's here's the thing. Here's the real answer. Dabo Swinney missed an opportunity. He needed the Seahawks to to come in and hire him. Before the drain drain ate him. Because are you of, making
2: a Pete Carroll reference? Yes, because yes. that was
1: the problem with Pete Carroll's SC the, the brain drain. Are, where,
2: are they in their Jeremy Bates phase? Yes, That's they're in their J- like. Jeremy
1: Bates phase. Because yeah.
2: you look it's the at worst, it. worse because at you, least Jeremy Bates' offense put up 30 points. It,
1: I, this is the, the problem with Pete Carroll's SC era versus Nick Saban's is that Nick, and I wonder if this is because Nick Saban went back to the NFL and failed a second time, um, or he he left as a coordinator and then went as a head coach and then came back. Um, and maybe if Pete Carroll would have done that, he would have um, fixed things. Um, but the problem with Pete Carroll is that he, he had all those great assistants early on in his tenure at SC, and he never knew how to replace them everyone just went, you had someone like Rocky Seto go from being a GA and to a DC. Well, and it's it's like, sure. Maybe, maybe he's good enough to be a GA to a D to a DC, but also like you're allowed to go out and hire another DC. Yeah. And you look at what Pete Carroll's done in, in Seattle. It's the same thing. Chris Richard went from being like a, a, an analyst of something to being a DC. And it's like, Dude, you're allowed to go out and hire people, man. Yeah,
2: But at the same time, like, you could end up in this, and this is going to be a, a storyline to watch all season. Does Alabama have a problem on offense? Because in in that game against Texas, like, I don't know. Maybe maybe I, I sort of buy into the idea that, like, a Stark-led offense or a Kiffin-led offense doesn't get beaten down that easily. Like, Bill O'Brien... Maybe maybe it wasn't the way to go. Maybe you can't rehabilitate everybody. I don't know. I
1: don't know. I mean,
2: something to watch. I'm not. I'm not. I would never, never pour grave pour, pour the dirt on Alabama's grave uh, this early in a season. They that will they will rise from the dead. Never never do that to Nick Saban. But something to watch.
1: Yeah, I. We we got a chat from Calix Rose that said uh you got yes men and it's like yeah, yeah I, I trust Saban not to necessarily get yes men. Yes. Um or if you Saban's getting yes, yes men turns them like even if they are yet like you become a yes man in front of Saban because he's intimidating. Yeah. but then you also turn them into to gold. Yeah. And that's the problem with, with Carol is he got the yes men and like without the ability to turn them into anything else. Yeah. Um, yeah, 100%. Um, all right, uh, Kenny's next question is, quote, deranged turnover-producing defense the best description ever. I think so. I think that's that, pretty pretty solid.
2: I think that's a Brady McCullough special, and I agree. Deranged turnover-producing defense fits the absolute bill because this defense is deranged in a lot of ways, <laughs> in all the best ways and all the worst ways. Yeah.
1: Uh, Steve says, "Do you both have your Pac-12 championship tickets for Las Vegas already? Uh, of course, the Pac-12 is not no longer doing division, so it makes it a little bit harder for my brain to like transition to like baseball logic of how you win the division now uh, or clinch your ticket to the whatever." Um, I think SC's is probably in a good shot. I mean, the, getting the conference, you know. The first conference win under the belt is, is a good thing. I think right now the I mean Matt Miller from Bleacher Report said that SC should be favored in all the rest of their games. That's probably accurate. But Utah's still gonna be tough. UCLA will probably be tough. We've talked about Oregon State before. Like I I don't think I'm I'm ready to just sit here and say that SC is gonna walk to Vegas, but they definitely, so far, look like the best team in the conference by the eye test.
2: Yeah, yeah. Um, that that Utah game, I still... I, uh, That's going to be the game. I don't know that I'll be a 100% believer until USC gets through that Utah game. If, if USC gets through that Utah game, and when I say the Utah game, I mean like the next three weeks and then the Utah game, uh, I, I will, I would... Punch my! I would go buy my tickets to the to the title game. Um, <laughs> we'll see.
1: All right, you're you're uh, you're not ready to completely go all in. That's fine. No, I. I mean well, your your 10-2 prediction was pretty much going all. I in mean that's that's
2: what it felt like. Yeah. So.
1: Hundred percent. All right, guys. Uh, this will wrap up the Stanford fallout. Put the big bow on USC uh beating stanford 41 later this week we'll come back on wednesday nights 5 p.m back at the normal time to talk about usc and fresno state and that'll be a fun episode because we're to talk about jake hayner and i love me some jake hayner he was the
2: jake hayner who i saw a quote from today saying oh it
1: was a good quote L-
2: little jake hayner wanted a uh, a scholarship offer from usc but little jake hayner was uh didn't what was it he he wasn't tall enough he, he wasn't he tall enough
1: his... i want to i like i want to go back and find the video because he yeah. did, did he say like little jake hayner wasn't tall enough <laughs> little... because that would be funny if he yeah. said it like
2: that yeah uh well i'm just going to call him little jake hayner for the rest of the time no with but... full respect because little jake hayner jake hayner a deserves all the respect from that yeah. ucla game yeah J- jake yeah. hayner still is is the living embodiment of that uh x-ray with the bulldog face yes in it he's got that dog in
1: him got that dog in him yeah absolutely uh so yeah jay caner and the fresno state bulldogs come to the coliseum and i think if there's any school that deserves respect come to the coliseum it's fresno state don't mess do not mess with fresno state the 2005 game in a winning effort um a winning effort for usc i think eternally won the um the respect from fresno state i mean they had like 20,000 people there at the yeah. coliseum it was incredible yeah um and of course there's the freedom <coughs> <coughs> bowl freedom bowl but we won't <laughs> talk about that freedom bowl or Edim hey Edim two
2: bowl. wins over fresno state most
1: recently so there you go and is it three is
2: it three well there was the bowl game the season opener
1: the season opener was sark sark's first game the 2019 season opener and then Clay Elton's first game as an interim head coach in the uh, Vegas bowl. There you go. There you go. All right. uh, We will see you on Wednesday at 5. PM Pacific on the YouTubes or uh, wherever you listen to us. Now we'll be there then till then. see See ya.
0: See ya.